Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. turn me up just a little bit because the fans, that'd be great. Well, it's the last Sunday in our spiritual maturity series. It's been a wonderful summer as God's been speaking to us as a church, maturing us, giving us depth in our hearts as we connect with God. And I want to start this Sunday with a story. There is in the National Gallery of London a painting. And this is a painting that is famous not because Uh, It was good, but actually because many art critics thought it was kind of bad. Uh, The distinguished Renaissance painter, Filippino Lippi, I think I got that right. I'm not Italian. My ancestors were Scottish. Um, Painted this painting, and he was known as being a great Renaissance painter. He was well-loved, and uh, he's a historical figure. So this painting hangs in this gallery. But one of the interesting things about this particular painting, it's a painting of Jesus, uh, the infant Jesus being held by his mother Mary and different saints bowing down and worshiping. One of the interesting things about this painting is that the painting is out of perspective. So if you look at it in the gallery, the hills are, look kind of strange and wonky. The saints that are worshiping Jesus look awkward and like they're in pain. Their bodies are contorted. Jesus doesn't look like he's being held quite right. So many art critics have written about this painting and about how it was just not right and, you know, just kind of awkward. So art critic Robert Cumming, a learned person in the U.K., he's there in the National Gallery surveying this painting. And as he's looking at this painting, he's thinking about this painting is not in line with this famous painter. It's, it's, it's not in line with the rest of his work. Something's wrong with it. And he begins to think about the original design of this painting. He begins to think about the original design and about where this painting was meant to be hung. And he thought, well, this painting was never designed for a gallery. This painting was designed for a church. And he thought about how in this small Italian church, people would come in to this particular altar and they would kneel down in prayer and look up at this painting. So this learned man in a a famous national gallery in London, he gets down on his knees and he looks at this painting and suddenly everything comes into perspective. He sees the hills exactly how they're supposed to be. Jesus is just nestled right in there in his mother's arms. The saints are worshiping Jesus. And the humble man, Robert Cumming, bowing before God, was able to see something that the learned scholar could never see. That's the power of perspective. So this morning, I want to speak to you about the power of perspective. I want to talk about some perspectives we might have in our life. Perspective changes everything. I know it's a little toasty this morning. We're working on the heat. But the last few days, I was in Palm Desert, and it was 112 degrees. And I let me tell you, I had some perspective change regarding the heat at my house. So an experience can change your perspective, right? 
an experience, a trial, something in school, your perspective, perspective changes as you learn. And the perspective I want to address this morning is our perspective regarding ourselves. Our perspective regarding ourselves. And so I want to end this spiritual maturity series with the message titled, Spiritual Maturity is Knowing Your Identity in Christ. Spiritual maturity is knowing your identity in Christ. This is something everybody needs, so everybody's going to pray with me as we begin our message. Why don't you just close your eyes? God, we, we open our hearts to your word this morning, and I pray that every person here would just leave more established in their identity in you. I pray they'd leave confident in who you called them to be, knowing their original design. In Jesus' name, amen. Several books on the topic of identity in Christ just start with this simple question. They start with the question, who are you? Who are you? I love Jason's passion for our college ministry. And if I were to go out to San Diego State this week, Jason, and maybe meet some freshmen and walk around and just ask them the question, who are you? I think I'd get some very interesting questions, right? Get some very interesting answers. You know, if, if you were to meet somebody on the street and just say, who are you? You'd probably get some amalgamation of their Facebook profile, right? They, they might start with, well, they might start with their job. So they might say, hey, I'm a, I'm a painter, I'm a teacher, I'm a scientist, I'm, uh, I don't really have a job, I play video games all day, whatever they'd say, right? And then you'd say, well, that's what you do. That's not who you are. Say, so maybe you'll give me that. Maybe they would say something about their national origin. They might say, hi, I'm an American. Might say, I'm, I'm from Australia. I'm from this or that country. They may say something about their national origin. And that's definitely part of, part of our identity in a sense, but it's really more of where you're from than who you are. I remember in, in high school, uh, my first car had a big sticker on the back that said Native Texan. So I was born in the nation of Texas, and I was trying to define myself by that identity. That was my identity marker, my bumper sticker. Maybe you define yourself by your hobbies, right? You might say, I'm a surfer. I'm definitely not. I barely get up on a board. You might say, I'm a golfer. I'm, I'm, I like to read. I like coffee. Whatever you might say. And you might define yourself by your hobbies. Those are things you enjoy, but they're not who you are. All the things I listed, they aren't bad things. They're, they're part of life. But they can all be taken away from us. Jobs come and go. Nations rise and fall. There's only one thing that remains. It's the kingdom of God. It's our relationship with God. And so we have to reach a point in our lives where we, we touch the deepest part of who we are. And that's our identity in Christ. Is what you do determined by who you are? Or is who you are determined by what you do? We're just talking about our identity in Christ. Sometimes it's so easy to judge ourselves, to judge others by outward appearances, right? There's all kinds of stories in the Bible like this. We talk about David being, anointing, being anointed as king by the prophet Samuel. And we see Samuel says, God looks at the heart as it was the unlikely one that God chose. All throughout the stories of scripture, God chooses unlikely people because he looks at their hearts. We all have something in our hearts, something great that's been put in us. I like this video I saw the other day. I think it just depicts that. And it's about someone's physical transformation. But as we watch it, I just want you to think about the heart, about how many of us get beat up by the world. We get tired. We get run down. But there's something great in each of us. So why don't you check out this video now?
Awesome. Pretty good, right? Not everybody has to wear a suit. It's okay to have a beard. But, but I love that video because it speaks about something that God does in our hearts. You know, Genesis 127 says this. So God created mankind in his own image. The image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them in the image of God. God has put his image on each of us. He's put his handprint on each He's written something on our heart. He's prepared us for greatness. And what I like when I see that in that guy's eyes, you just see his confidence just kind of shift as he looks in that mirror. That's what I'm hoping for you this morning. What I'm hoping this morning is that you're going to look in the mirror. You're going to see how God has created you in Christ, and you're going to grow in confidence and believe that God has empowered you to do great things. Amen? All right, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 as we look at the topic, spiritual maturity is knowing your identity in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, spiritual maturity is knowing your identity in Christ. Here's my first point. You are accepted in Christ. Say, I am accepted. This even feels good to say that. You are accepted in Christ. Acceptance is such a big need for the human heart. Everybody needs acceptance. Everybody needs a place to belong. And by the way, if you're here this morning, maybe it's your first time at church, maybe you don't even like coming to church and your neighbor or friend or family member dragged you here, we would just say, you're accepted. We're so glad you're here. The Cleveland Clinic did a study on self-talk. And what self-talk is, it's the repeated and habitual patterns of thought that people have in their mind, those tape recorder thoughts that just play over in your mind all the time. And there's some interesting statistics about self-talk. First of all, 95% of the same thoughts run through your mind every day. So those, those ticker tape thoughts that you have going in your mind, 95% of those are going every day. And then they found this for the average person, probably not this church, hopefully, but the average person, 80% of those thoughts are negative. That's what they found. 80% of those thoughts are negative concerning themselves or concerning a circumstance in their life. And then they found something very interesting. They found the human mind has a predisposition to entertain the negative thoughts more seriously than the positive ones. That the human mind has a predisposition to entertain the negative thoughts more seriously than the positive ones. We must understand that as humans, we have a predisposition against being accepted. We are insecure. We, like Adam and Eve, we, we know our nakedness, we know our vulnerability, and we are ashamed to show ourselves to other people and be fully accepted. And then the devil doesn't play fair, right? He puts thoughts in our mind, he puts circumstances in our life, he beats us down, and he steals our confidence as sons and daughters of God. Uh, I, I encountered this situation just a, in a small way, in a situation my wife and I had. A number of years ago, we were going through a very difficult time with our family, and there were just different relationships that were challenging. Um, I, was, I was feeling kind of mistreated by some different people, and my confidence was just very low. And it was during this time that another family member from another side of the family decided to give us a very generous gift. They decided to give us a free vacation. Oh, wow, who would, who would like a free vacation in here, right? So obviously, that's some people didn't raise their hands over there. I don't know. Y'all need to go on a Groupon vacation or something. So a free vacation. And so I thought, my first thought wasn't positive. My first thought was, what does this person want from me? Why are they trying to manipulate me? Why are they trying to give this to me? You know, what, what's their edge? What are they trying to get me to do? And it was amazing when, when I realized these other circumstances in my life had given me this predisposition 
against accepting this free gift. I had started to suddenly believe the lie that I wasn't worth receiving something great and that I didn't deserve that or that maybe it wasn't really real. You know, for a lot of us, this speaks of our salvation. God wants to give us a free gift. You can read all throughout the Bible the benefits of walking with God, how he wants to bless us, how he wants to touch us, how he wants to transform our lives. But many of us, because of fear, because of insecurity, we don't go to God the way we need to. We're, we're suspicious. We're, we're worried about what might happen. But the Bible says that we are accepted. Amen? Yeah, Ephesians 2, we're going to read it in the New Living's translation. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So this is an introductory passage to a section of Ephesians that's talking about the power of our salvation. And the writer, the Apostle Paul, he's going in to talk about, this is what you were like before you met Jesus. He's going to describe what that life was like. He talks about different things like we were dead. Now we're alive in Christ. You used to live and send these different things. And so I want to I put this passage up again. And what I've done is I've underlined some key words in this passage. I want to see if you, can, if you can tell me what these key words represent. So let's, let's read it here. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires of our inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. What's the theme? They're all in the past, right? When you know your identity in Christ, your past does not define your present. Your past does not define your present. You are accepted. I'll tell you, just as a, as a, a leader in the church or a pastor, there's so many different phrases you'll hear Christians say. And in the name of maybe hum humility or authenticity, you'll hear Christians say things like this. They'll say, well, I'm struggling, but I'm just living in sin. Or they might say, brother, I'm under the power of the devil. Or they might say something even a little more serious. They might believe that God is mad at them. Or maybe they'll say this, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But when you look at Ephesians 2, all those things describe what we were, not what we are now. And we have to reach a point in our life where the word of God defines our experience. Because that's what living by faith is. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now you're alive in Christ. You used to live in sin. So, yes, believers sin, Christians sin. It's a struggle. We're, no one's perfect. This is a church where you can come as you are. But you used to live in sin. Now you live in Christ. The power of sin is broken over your life once you understand your identity in Christ. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. You don't have to obey every desire that comes into your life because you have power in your identity in Christ. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. Yes, God is a just God, and he will come and with sin, righteousness, he will come and judge the earth. But in Christ, we are accepted by God. He's looking at us with glasses that have the color on them of the blood of Jesus, and he's seeing us as his sons and daughters, even though we sin. Ephesians 2.19 says it this way, 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. There's again a past tense. You're no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. So if we aren't just solely sinners and the body of Christ, what are we? We're saints. God calls us saints. That word saint comes from a Latin word, sanctus. It means holy. It means consecrated. In Jesus, you are accepted by God, and he sees you as one of his holy children. You know, the apostle Paul, he was a church planner, and so he would go from city to city all over the uh, Asia and all over the, the ancient world that he would establish churches, and many of the letters in the Bible are written to those churches. They're written to encourage those churches, but they're also written to correct those churches. Because like most churches, they had struggles, they weren't perfect, and there were people in those churches that had dealings with sin. So what you see, though, as Paul writes these different churches, Colossians 1-2, Romans 1-7, 1 Corinthians 1-1, Jude 1-3, Ephesians 1-15, Philemon 1-5, all of these passages start with him addressing believers in Jesus as saints. So he's speaking identity. He's saying, you're accepted. God views you as holy. He loves you. He wants to use you. He has a plan for your life. And knock it off. Amen? All right. Verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us, when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. We are accepted in Christ. It's a finished work. End of story. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the planting of All People's Church about eight years ago, uh, my wife and I got to be on the team with the Herbers and others that moved out here to establish the church. And, you know, we started in just a living room in Robert and Stephanie's home and didn't know anyone. And so my job for the first season of the church was walking around the streets and praying for people and telling them about Jesus. I actually I loved it. It was a great job. And as I would walk around, you know, there'd be many people that I'd meet that I'd learned something about them. God was working in their life, and maybe we'd pray for them, and they'd be healed, or God would speak to them powerfully, but they'd have trouble kind of crossing that line and give their life over to God. And they'd say things like this. They'd say, oh, I want to give my life to God, but I just need to kind of get cleaned up and get back in church. Then I can give my life to God. Or they might say, yeah, I totally want to give my life to God, but I got this family situation. Once I work it out, then I can get really serious about walking with God. Or they might say, hey, I want to get walk with God, but I've got this family member in jail or this job situation. They'd go on and on. People would have different excuses wanting to clean their life up to come to God. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't transform ourselves to be accepted by God. We are accepted by God, and then we are transformed. That's how it works. I love it when God pours out his favor on undeserving people. Um, a few weeks ago, I was on an airplane flying back from one of our Antioch events overseas, and uh, honestly, I had a pretty bad attitude about all my flights. Uh, I had some weird connections, and I was just struggling, okay? And about halfway through the first flight, um, God kind of started to convict me of my attitude, and I thought, okay, I need to talk to some people and bless them and be kind and kind of find my salvation again. So that's what I did, and I started to talk to the guy in the seat next to me. And as we started talking, I heard his story. He was born in Egypt, and he was, I learned more of his story. He had moved to Dubai, and he had started a weightlifting business, and he was a super in-shape guy, very cool. And so we started talking. I told him a little of my story, and he seemed interested in God a little bit in spiritual matters. And so what I've learned is oftentimes God will speak to people, and they don't even know it. 
And so I started just to plant some seeds in the conversation about some ways God might be speaking to him. And then I asked him a question. I said, excuse me, uh, this might sound kind of funny, but I'm just curious. Have you ever had a spiritual dream where you believe that God might speak to you? Have you ever had a spiritual dream? And he, he told me about one dream he had where he was being attacked by demons, and I prayed for him, and that was good. And then I said, what about what anything else? And then he, after he kind of had tested me out, then he got very serious. And he said, 13 years ago, I had a dream. I've never told anybody about it. No one's been able to explain it to me. I said, well, what is it? And he said, well, I was sitting down having some tea. And as I was sitting down having some tea, I was sitting across from someone that, was, that introduced himself as the prophet Moses. I thought, this is going to be a good dream. So, so he starts talking to Moses, and then Moses gets up in the middle of the conversation, walks over, and then he said, and then he introduced me to Isa. Isa is the Arabic word for Jesus. And he began to talk about how he met Jesus and what his eyes were like and what his hair was like. It was just a perfect description from the Bible. It was amazing. He didn't do anything to deserve that. He just fell asleep. God loves to pour out his favor on us. We are accepted in Christ. We all have to choose Christ. And that man still has to choose Christ. But once we choose him, he accepts us wholeheartedly without reservations. Say, I am accepted. Here's my second point. You have authority. You have authority in Christ. I find that many people that are walking into their identity in Christ, they begin to understand that they're accepted. God starts to, to minister to their emotional needs. They get some healing in their heart. And this is the next step of the journey, them learning that they have authority in Christ. Let's keep reading in Ephesians 2. For he raised me from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. It's going to focus on this one verse, verse 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Seated with him in the heavenly realms. It's a very mystical way to put things. What does it mean practically? Well, to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms means that we are with him on his throne. This is what Revelation chapter 4 says talks about the apostle John who had a vision of heaven. He said, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Who is seated in the heavenly realms? If we are seated in the heavenly realms, we're seated with him. And that's where his throne is. For he raises from the dead along with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms because we are united in Christ Jesus. This is what this means practically for our life. We can't always control our circumstances but we can control how we respond to our circumstances. We are seated with Christ above what is going on. We have a greater perspective. Amen? Yeah. Sometimes how we respond to something is way more important than the something that happened. Sometimes we need to decide that we are going to happen to our circumstances rather than our circumstances happening to us. That's what it means to be seated in Christ. You're taking authority over your life and believing that God is working in the circumstances that come your way. Romans 5.17 puts it this way. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned, talking about the reign of death through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus? Say reign in life. That's God's plan. His plan for us is to take control of our circumstances and appropriate the grace of God wherever it's needed. It doesn't mean it's bad things don't happen. This isn't some Pollyanna message. But regardless of what happens, God has a solution because he is seated in heavenly places and so are we. 
Now, how do you understand your authority in Christ? Well, first of all, you're not a victim. You are not a victim. You can reign in life. I remember a season in the planting of our church, my wife and I went through a very difficult season. We, we struggled in our marriage. There were emotional issues, spiritual issues, financial issues. We just needed breakthrough in every single area. It was dark. It didn't seem that it was coming. During this time, it was a very rich time with God in my life. And God spoke to me this promise. He said, your condition in life does not change your position in me. Your condition in life does not change your position in God. Can I just speak that over you today? Your condition in life does not change your position in God. You are seated with him in heavenly places. You might need to say that over your life every day, like I do as well. How do you understand your authority in Christ? Here's a story. The queen and her husband, Prince Albert, quarreled about something early in their marriage. So this is the queen and her husband, who's a prince. Albert walked out of the room and went to his private quarters. Victoria followed, found the door locked, and began pounding on it. Who's there? The Queen of England, was the reply, but the door remained locked. More pounding followed, and then there was a pause, and the next sound was just a gentle tap. Who's there? Albert inquired. The Queen replied, your wife, Albert. Prince Albert opened the door immediately. <laughs> that's authority that's based on relationship. <laughs> and we grow in our authority in Christ by growing in our relationship with God. Good. All right, here's my third point. You're accepted. You have authority in Christ. You are anointed to change the world in Christ. You are anointed to change the world in Christ. I love praying for my kids before they go to sleep. It's just so fun, reading a Bible story, talking about the day. I love praying over their sleep. We pray over sleep a lot at our house because we need it. And so we're praying over peace. We're breaking off anything that happened over the day, pleading the blood of Jesus, praying for their health, their development, blessing them, speaking in individual words of identity over them. But there's one thing I probably love to do more than anything else. This is what I've been doing lately. Joel, come up here if you don't mind. You can just stand right here, Joel. What I love to do is just take both my boys and just grab them by the head and say, you are anointed to change the world. Can I just tell you today that you are anointed to change the world? Verse eight, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's the gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. That's speaking of salvation. So offer a free gift of a relationship with God. Verse 10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has good things planned for you to do. You are anointed to change the world. That word anointed, of course, it literally means to pour oil on someone, but that's what they would do in the times of the Bible to choose a king or to choose a leader. They would anoint them with oil. It also can mean appointed or chosen. God has appointed you. He has chosen you to do good works. He has anointed you to change the world. Ephesians 2.10, just to read that again, it says, we are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. You can turn to your neighbor and say, you're a piece of work. <laughs> You are God's masterpiece. That, that word masterpiece, it comes from the Greek word poema. Poema, it's where we get our word poem. If you could think of the meticulous nature a poet would sit down, writing every word, perseverating over every double meaning, thinking about the punctuation, how many words are on each line, and just going into great detail to craft something 
that has a certain meaning. That is the amount of detail that God took when he created you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He spoke life into you, and he spoke purpose into your life. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God's desire is to set you up into a place of influence and leadership. He has good things planned for you to do. You know, much like that, that painting we talked about at the beginning of our message, God has a certain place for you to be. He has a certain design, a certain position he wants to establish you in. And when you, when you get that just right, that's when the meaning really happens. You are anointed to change the world. Like I said, I, I preach on this topic. You are anointed to change the world at our, at our youth camp, Desert Days, a few weeks ago. I see some youth over here. What's up, guys? So we preached on you are anointed. And it was, it was a fun time with the youth, but what I love is what happened after the message. So I preached on you are anointed. God wants to use you. And then I, I just set aside a corner of the room. And I said, I want to encourage you to go to this corner of the room if you need healing and your friends are going to pray for you. So I, I didn't pray for anyone that was sick, but I just, I just sent the youth there to pray for the youth. And so there was one youth in particular that kind of got hold of the message and saw one of his friends standing over there. And he thought, God was really giving him a burden to pray for his friend. So he goes up to his friend and prays for him, and the guy's just healed of all these tennis injuries. It was awesome. He had all this rotation that was back in different areas of his body. It was a dramatic healing. They're clapping, and there's all kinds of fun stuff happening in that corner. And then he goes to another friend with some football injuries. Same thing happens. Healing happens. This isn't some professional minister that I didn't even pray for him and, and anoint him. He just went and prayed for a friend because he believed that God had anointed him to change the world. What Joel said is when this young man came home at the end of camp, his mom looked at him and said, wow, you are different. <laughs> I don't know what he said, but if my mom had said that to me, I would have said, mom, I'm anointed, okay? So you are anointed to change the world. Another thing happened that night, which was just a really fun uh, testimony. Uh, there's, there's a young man from another country in our youth group, and at, at the end of the message, God just touched him powerfully, and he was, he was just lying down as God was speaking to him. And about an hour into the time, he came up to Joel and I, just tears crying, trembling, trying to get out this story. And so what he shared with us was this. He said, I, I, was, I was lying on the ground. This isn't someone that's given to visions or mystical experiences or church charismatic type things. This is just an unsuspecting high schooler. He said, while I was down on the ground, I had a vision. And on this vision, I saw Jesus on the cross. And I saw all of his wounds. And he described the wounds in great detail with tears. Just God was touching his heart. He said, I saw all these wounds. And then I looked at Jesus and I said, why did you do this for me? And Jesus looked back at me and said, because I love you. And then he described looking in Jesus' eyes as his hair turned to fire and his beard turned to fire and his eyes turned to fire, just like the Bible. And then he said as he was looking to Jesus' eyes, he started to see through the cross and he could see faces of people all over the world. And then at the end of the vision, he, he said to Joel and I, he said, and then I'm not sure what it is, but a white bird came out of the cross and landed on me. <laughs> I said, that's the Holy Spirit. It's a fun story, but, but I share it because that's every person's story. When you look into the face of Jesus, first of all, you become accepted. 
you understand his love. You understand that he died for you simply because he loves you because he loves you. You don't have to clean your life up. You can just give your life to God, and his desire is by the power of his spirit to transform your life. And then as we look at Jesus, something happens. We start to see through him and see the other people around us. We start to see through his eyes. And when we understand that we're anointed to change the world, that's when the Holy Spirit comes on us and we're able to be used in power in our community. Amen? Do you believe that about yourself? You're anointed to change the world? Well, it's just a simple message, but this is your identity in Christ. It's very simple. But if you grab hold of it, something powerful will happen in your life. Honestly, you'll never be the same. I remember in college, I, I received a book, and it was about my identity in Christ. And there were different passages in that book that encouraged you to read aloud over yourself. And I had a roommate that kind of would make fun of me at times. We had, had went through a dark time in our friendship. And so what I would do is I would literally lock myself in the closet and read that list to me out loud. And something happened in my heart that year where I understood my identity in Christ. But we always need more. And so on my 31st birthday, a few years ago, I woke up, and as God was speaking to me that morning, as I was having my FaceTime, my devotional time with God, he said, Kendall, I want to give you 31 promises for your life. And I'd been believing for a new car, so I thought it was coming the next week. So I got out my pen, I was like, okay, God, here we go, what kind of car is it going to be? And, and he said, no, 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 they're not promises like that. These are promises regarding your identity in Christ. You're going to understand your identity in Christ this year. And I said, okay, God, well, well where, where are the promises? And he said, they're all in the first two chapters of Ephesians. And so I wrote, I wrote these down, and I started to meditate on them. And I can just tell you something happened in my life. And what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to read these 31 promises of your identity in Christ. Just promises that God gave me, but they're right from the Bible. I want to read them over you. And I want to challenge you to accept these promises with an open heart. So we're moving into a time of ministry. And this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to read these different promises. And when there's one that you need today, I want to encourage you to stand up. So you might stand up on the first one. You might stand up on the 31st one. But there's something that you need today. And that's your way of just actively standing up, changing, changing your perspective and just saying, I'm going to walk in my identity in Christ today. I'm leaving here, living for more of what Jesus died for in my life. Amen. So, band, we can go put on some background music if you like. I'm going to start reading these promises from the book of Ephesians. Are you ready? Great. You can close your eyes. That helps you to receive. You are saints. You have grace and peace. Come on. I know there's some people that need peace in here. That's good. You are already blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are chosen. I'll say that again. You are chosen. You are holy and blameless before God in Christ. You're adopted into God's family. You are beloved and in the beloved of God. You have lavishly received grace. You have a purpose. You know the mystery of God's will. You have an inheritance. You are the praise of Christ's glory. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have a heavenly father. You have wisdom. You have revelation. You have eyes that see what God is doing. You have a hope and therefore a calling. You have glorious riches. You have God's power working towards you. You have Christ as your head. You are in Christ's body. 
You have received Christ's fullness. You are loved with a great love. You are spiritually alive. You are seated in heavenly places. You have received a free gift from God. You have more grace and kindness than can be measured. You are God's workmanship. You are created to do good works. Amen. Just close your eyes, open your hands. Just begin to thank God. Just thank him that you're accepted. Just begin to thank him that he's given you authority over different circumstances in your life. Just walk out today choosing to walk in that authority that God has given you. Ask God for solutions. Ask God for power. Begin to thank God for the anointing that he's put on you by the Holy Spirit. Who are those people in your life that need a spiritual breakthrough? Just put them before God right now. As everybody's dealing with God, I've talked a lot about a relationship with Jesus today. And I just want to give people the opportunity to start that relationship if they haven't yet. I talked about how Jesus died on the cross because he loves you. That's true. And it's something you have to accept. It's something you have to cross that line and say, I believe that. I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. And so every eye's closed. Everyone's focusing on God. But if you want to give your life to Jesus today in a fresh way, decide to follow him in your life, I just want to encourage you right now to boldly lay your hand. I'm not going to point you out, but I just want to pray for you. Who are those people that want to give their life to Jesus? All over the room. Thank you. I see that hand. Who else? Thank you. Anybody else? You can repeat this prayer after me. You can just say something like this if you're praying this prayer to give your life to Jesus. You're going to say, Jesus, I choose to follow you. I give you my heart. Forgive me for my sins. Free me from the power of the devil. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and for coming back to life to give me eternal life. Amen. Let's clap and just celebrate. People come to Jesus. Prayer team, you can come down to the front now. We have about five minutes, which is great. And the main ministry call for our church today is just on this first point of my message. I am accepted. If you just need someone to pray over you today and just say you are accepted, to break off that curse of self-loathing, of self-hatred, of condemnation, that rat race in your mind of never living up to your own expectations or the expectations of others, I want to encourage you, today is the day of breakthrough. I've prayed for many people in a scenario like this. They've written me letters two years later saying, my life was never the same after that prayer, and your life may never be the same today. Stephen's going to lead us for a few moments, and then we'll close. Thanks, and God bless you.